Q&A number two, answering your strength training questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line, and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Okay, we're back again with a Q&A episode. The gyms are back open in Melbourne after lockdown, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to start answering some of your strength training questions now that you're back. Hopefully, you're in the gym. And I'm hearing a lot of feedback, a lot of great feedback from the podcast in the last couple of weeks. And if you'd like to show your support, uh, I would really appreciate if you do become a Patreon. This is what the episodes are designed around. It's answering those who are Patreons and those who are attending the Run Smarter online course. And first and foremost, the Patreon um, website or becoming a Patreon is meant to be just for supporting the podcast. If you do find it offers a lot of value and you see the benefits it has within your running um, career, whether it's helped you with a running injury, helped with your performance, helped provide clarity, um, and you do want to offer your support, then um, first and foremost, that's what the Patreon's all about. It's $5 per month for you to show your support. But I do like giving as much benefit or adding as much benefit as I can. So uh, that's why I have started doing these type of courses or these type of episodes, I should say. The the Patreons do get posts every two weeks. This is... um, And the post is just like, this is the episode topic. Please submit your questions. And yeah, and then I just add value to anyone who wants to listen for free. But the added benefit is you get your personalized question answered. So uh, if you'd love to sign up at the moment, I have eight, which is a nice, small, humble group. And it really brightens my day. It really, really makes my day as soon as I see another person has signed up. I get a notification when someone signed up to Patreon and just lights me up. So uh, if you think that would interest you, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to have your questions answered, then the Patreon link will be in the show notes. Um, So I put the post out there answering your strength training questions. And I've got four really, really good ones to answer here. So the first one being from John, he says, my question is in regards to work the workout load and load tolerance. If I were to work out how to stay within my load tolerance, how would I do so? Is there an equation that you can follow? Also, if someone is injured and I know I don't want to go into complete rest to avoid that pain, weakness, spiral, you're a good student, John. <laughs> how much should I reduce my workload for? I know someone is I know everyone is different but is there a percentage I could work off? Really, really good question. Matt also asks, um, as a runner, is there any point focusing on upper body? Should we just focus on core and legs? A brilliant question, which uh, I haven't, I don't think I've ever answered before. So thanks for asking that one. Jacinta from the course 
asks, should I change my gym routine when my hamstring tendon is flared up? Or I'll address that to any tendinopathy in general if it is flared up. And Adina from the course as well, what are your favorite bang for your buck exercises for a runner? With limited time, being a mum and training for a race is tough enough to fit in as is. So great questions. I look forward to answering all of those. What we'll start with is, um, I think we'll start with John and then we'll work into trying to create some good flow for answering all of these questions. So the first one I want to address, if I were to work out and stay within my low tolerance, how would I do so? Is there an equation? The first thing, the first point I want to touch on is when it comes to your load tolerance and where you are within that adaptation zone and where that injury zone is, it's all based on trial and error. So a runner who is quite um, well advanced or experienced within the gym will have a different tolerance to someone who's new. But then your sweet spot, that adaptation zone also fluctuates within your given week, within your given month based on Uh, your recovery based on your nutrition, based on your sleep. So it's a really, really tough one to answer. But uh, I do have a a good response for generically. So when it comes to the trial and error for your weight and dosage, we want to to do just that. We want to trial and error and see if you are hitting a good zone and then that establishes a really nice starting point. So if you are doing a certain dosage and you are getting like delayed onset muscle soreness, so that like really generic soreness the next day and it's lasting one or two days and then you feel good after that, you're not uh, reacting with any severe joint stiffness or any of those bad pain signs the next day or even after a workout, then you know you're within a really good zone. So listen to your body, just, uh, be sensible with your initial attempts. And if you're hitting that sweet spot, if you are getting DOMS, if you are not experiencing any like increase in sort of like bad kind of symptoms, then you know you've hit the sweet spot. And then from then on out, you can add five or 10% to your workout every couple of weeks. And that's just as uh, a nice safe space for you to establish where your current low tolerance is. And then as soon as you just add slowly, add slowly, add slowly, you know that you're not having any massive spikes in um, in training. If you're treating it too conservatively, so if you uh, decide to do some trial and error and you go with a weight and a dosage like three sets of 10 with a really light weight and you're not getting that burn during the workout, if you feel like you're not getting as much muscle soreness the next day and you feel quite easy, then you're probably underdoing it and you need to start challenging yourself a little bit more. So that's where we need to try and find that sweet spot. Every It works for everyone. And then if we decide to find that sweet spot and then every week or so we add on 10%, maybe add on 5% of weight or maybe increase the reps by two or three reps, then we also want to make sure that we're recovering well. So if there's a particular week where there's been a lot of stress or poor nutrition or poor sleep, maybe that's not the week to progress. And if it's a lot of stress, then it might just be one of those weeks to take it quite lightly before you start to 
um, recover before you're getting a lot of really good recovery in, then you might want to start pushing yourself even more and adding on that five or 10%. Hope that makes sense. So there is a few other things that I wanted to add. If we're talking about trial and error of load tolerance, and we want to make sure that we're within the bounds of adaptation and outside the risk of injury or exceeding that injury into that injury zone. There's a couple of scenarios that I want to educate you on. One, you want to keep in mind any extended periods of time off. So if you go on holidays for three or four weeks, or if there's an off season, or if, for example, if gyms close down and you're not lifting a lot of weights and you're just getting back into it, we need to keep that in mind that the body needs to slowly get back into the uh, into lifting weights, into tolerating some heavier weights. So a period of three weeks or so of just slowly getting back into it is very wise. Another scenario that might that you need to keep in mind is if there's any change in intensity, if there's any change in speed, if there's any change in your range of movement. So that that looks in a couple of different ways because the dosage might look the same. It might be I'm doing back squats, I'm doing 50 kilos, three sets of 10. All of those dosages might keep you in that sweet spot. But if you change any of these variables, the intensity, the speed, and the range of movement, that might just be enough just to tip you over into that injury zone. And so intensity might be um, if you're doing, say, burpees and you decide to do them a lot faster or if you decide to do box jumps and you're doing them a lot quicker a lot quicker rate then that might just tip you up over the edge so really be careful with increasing your intensity just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury the sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Sure, it's only 5 to 10%. The other thing is speed. Let's just say if we have our example of back squats and you're doing your 50 kilogram back squats, three sets of 10, but you decide today to do them a bit faster than what you were in the previous week, that could be enough to tip you over into that injury zone. And so we do want to increase speed, but we want to make sure that we increase these variables gradually. The other one's range of movement. So if you're, let's, let's keep the example of the back squats. If you're doing three quarters range of back squats, three sets of 10, 50 kilos, you keep all that those variables the same, but you decide to do full squats and you're working on your range of movement or someone's decided to correct your technique and you want to try and uh, reach a full range of movement, that is uh, requiring more load and requiring the tendons and the muscles to uh, produce more force, produce more strength when it goes through that full range. So Keep in mind that changing these variables, the intensity, the speed, the range of movement uh, is a good thing to progress. Make sure it's done so gradually um, because I have a couple of clients in the past who go through their same routine except they decide to do it with a friend and the competitiveness gets in there and they decide to do things a little bit faster, a little bit more intense and uh, they end up getting injured and they're not too sure why. So keep that in mind. Okay, the second point, when injured, 
how much should I reduce my workload? Um, This is based on, I'd say, clinical judgment based on the level of irritation or level of severity. So, uh, severity would be like the pain levels a certain injury does have. Say it's an 8 out of 10 compared to a 2 out of 10. And irritation would be um, how long a flare-up would last if you, or how long increase in symptoms might be after you're subjected to a certain load. So if you have an Achilles strain and we decide to do three sets of 10 calf raises and it's irritated for three hours after that, that's a different level of irritation compared to someone who does three sets of 10 calf raises and it's sore for five minutes. And so that's where a good health professional would come into it to give you the right advice. Those who have seen um, a similar situation or seen a hundred Achilles tendinopathies before and can um, use their clinical judgment to establish where's a good starting point for you. If it is really severe and irritation and we want to avoid that complete rest downward spiral, then you might need to take about two or three days off to settle any um, symptoms in severe cases, but I wouldn't go any longer than three days. Then my advice would be just generically, if symptoms are under control and they are quite stable, then you want to resume at around about 70% of your weight or your dosages, and then we can adjust from there. And so why I choose 70% on a generic scale is because it's a it's a really nice starting point to reduce any significant flare-ups. So if we use that same Achilles example, if someone comes to me with Achilles tendinopathy and they're in the gym and they're used to doing box jumps or calf raises or seated calf raises, something like that, if we start them off, if we established their symptoms are quite settled but still a bit sore we can start off at 70 percent because it's still loading up the tendon it might respond well to that kind of load but if it doesn't there's not a significant flare-up because it's only 70 percent and we learn from that and then we can make adjustments 10 percent here or there if you're returning back to the gym at 70% and you feel quite good, fantastic. Let's do that for a week. And then the next week we can go to 80 or 85%. And if that's great, then the week after that, we're returning to 100%. So it's only a two or three week um, trial before we go back to full range or back to full dosage. But if symptoms do flare up, it's not at the same intensity than if you were to return at 100% because that might be another significant flare-up and you're out for another three or four days. If we're at 70% and there's a flare-up, it's probably only going to be irritated for a day or so. We learn from that. The next time you're going to go back into the gym, we're going to start at 60%. See how you tolerate that. If you tolerate that, fine. The following week, we're going to go back to 70% and work on, on our way back up to 100%. So that's a very generic answer and it's my um, my compass kind of that I start at and then we can manipulate or modify from there based on symptoms. But I will say, given my level of experience, if I do have a tendon that comes in or if I do have an injury that comes in that is quite severe and quite irritable, I'll recognize that and I'll start off a lot more conservative. Maybe start with something completely different like isometrics or some really, really basic exercises and then work back into their regular gym routine.
Hope that answer satisfies you. <laughs> um, let's move on to should I change my gym routine when my hamstring tendon is flared up? And I thought I'd just answer this question straight after the previous one because they kind of tie in. Um, they kind yeah, they kind of make sense to tie in the two questions together because they're very very similar. With a tendinopathy, if we go with this hamstring tendon flare up. We want to establish, okay, is it an irritated tendon or is it a stable tendon and how we can approach loading. If there is a tendon that is very, very irritable, like I was explaining before, one that's like the symptoms are exacerbated for a long period of time after subjecting it to load. If it is uh, irritable, then we want to go with the approach of little and often. And I say little and often because... What that means is we're subjecting the the tendon to slight bits of load, but we're doing it multiple times a day. And that's very, very different to a tendon that's stable or a muscle that's stable. And we want to start to progress the loads. Because firstly, when it comes to tendons, like tendon recovery, tendon rehab, it's very, very important that we subject it to a lot of load and we're progressing that load. So we start it. We start somewhere and see if the tendon can tolerate that, but then we are continuously progressing, progressing, progressing. And if we're doing three sets of 15, say calf raises, and you're starting to feel the burn and like 15 is kind of your limit, we slowly want to start adding weight, adding weight, adding weight, and getting up to maybe the four sets of six to eight rep range. So how I like to explain this to a client when it comes to your rep max or working out rep ranges, if you're doing a a double leg calf raise and you can do 15 and it gets to the point where you're really struggling to do 16, that is a very different equation from someone who does double leg calf raises with a lot of weight and they do six reps, they get to their seventh, they can just squeeze out seven and then they can't do an eighth um, due to like because it's so heavy, they can't get to that eight rep, then that would be a seven rep max. And that signifies that you're lifting a lot of weight compared to the strength that you have. And that's kind of where we want to build up to. It might take months and months, but the tendon really responds well to uh, this really slow but heavy progressive load. And so if we do have a stable tendon, Uh, Going back to the question, I've kind of um, digressed a little bit. So we're answering the question, uh, should my gym routine change when my hamstring is flared up? Well, when it's stable, we want to progressively increase that load. But once it's flared up, we want to back off the, the heavy, heavy stuff and go with the little and often approach. So the little and often approach kind of looks something like doing it three to five times a day but doing something that's um, like settling down symptoms. Hopefully it settles really well with isometric exercises. So those, those hold exercises. So let's go back to the Achilles. Let's just say the Achilles has your progressing and you're getting to like a eight rep max. You're doing eight sets of, or you're doing four sets of eight with enough weight that it's a true eight rep max. You're doing that maybe once or twice a week, fantastic. Then all of a sudden during a run, the Achilles flares up again. We can't really go back to that dosage. If it's irritable and um, flared up and it's seeming quite nasty, 
take one or two days off, let that settle down. But when it is still irritated, if you're still getting those um, irritated symptoms, maybe we want to do isometrics off a step. So you're doing like single leg isometric calf raises and just holding that heel off the step, maybe holding it for 20 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds. And in most cases, especially when it comes to the Achilles and the um, patella tendons, they respond really well to isometrics. So we want to do that. We want to do, say, three sets of 20-second holds three to five times a day, and that can be enough just to slowly start to regenerate some strength and help settle down symptoms. Once we do that, maybe that might have to take a week, but then we're slowly adding load. We're slowly adding load, maybe still doing isometrics, maybe holding on to a five or 10 kilo dumbbell while we do our isometrics. And you should notice if the dosages are correct that those symptoms start to stabilize. And as symptoms start to stabilize, that's when we're slowly getting back into the stable dosages. So working our way back to that four sets of eight rep max. I hope that makes sense. So we're sort of shifting away from the little and often and slowly progressing back to the heavy progressive load. So um, Jacinta, hopefully that answers your question. Where are we next? I have this written down somewhere. Okay. um, What is your favorite bang for your buck exercises for a runner with limited time? Okay. Um, I have a few that have come to mind. One being Bulgarian split squats. So it's kind of like a lunge pattern, except your back leg is up on a bench or up on a chair and you uh, lower yourself down like you would in a lunge and you're using that front foot to push up and generate that strength. If you aren't familiar with a split split squat or a Bulgarian split squat, uh, just Google it and you'll be able to see what that looks like. Why I have chosen this, one, you don't need a lot of equipment. You might need a bench or you might need a chair. A lot of people can find a chair and that's it. So for someone with limited time who needs to spend time with kids or the family um, can be really, really practical. And you're working several muscle groups and you might want to progress by, uh, if you have weights, great, but you can also have like a backpack. You can put on a a backpack and put a whole bunch of heavy objects in there. Um, that can be quite nice. The other th- suggestion that I'll have is that um, if you decide to do this twice a week, let's just say um, on one given week, start doing some what, what would be like a plyometric split squat. So instead of squatting down slowly and coming up slowly, you can go down slowly and then launch yourself up and that front leg actually comes off the ground and then lands again. So you're almost hopping on that front foot, but uh, going down into that lunge position and then launching yourself back up. So same exercise, but we're getting rid of the weights and we're implementing a bit more speed, a bit more intensity. Um, you can also do some a body weight variation where you're doing three sets of 12 to 15 reps, but you can also add weight, like I said, with the backpack and you can start doing lower reps. So three sets of eight, four sets of six, something like that. And it's the same exercise, but we can change the demands on the body and we can start uh, working at different intensities with the exact same exercise. So that's a really good bang for your buck exercise. 
especially when it comes to the plyometric component of it, where achieving this triple extension, it's an exercise terminology what um, applies to runners. So when you run, we get hip extension, we get knee extension, and we get plantar flexion of the ankle. And that's the three joints extending. So when you push off, like when you run, um, an exercise that mimics that is very well tailored to a run. And so when you do that exercise, you are achieving that triple extension. So um, yeah, that's a really, really good one. It's the one that I use in my running strength classes. It's very, very prominent and people love to hate it. <laughs> um, I do have one other suggestion if you'd like, and that would be say squats or jump squats with a really, really firm uh, band around your knees. So the band will, uh, putting tension on the band will help activate your glutes and then the squat itself, most people know what a, a squat looks like will uh, work the rest of the muscle groups, mainly the quads. But um, if it's more of like a deadlift action, it can trigger a lot of hamstrings and glutes. But if we add the band around the knees and we're really pushing hard on that band, triggers a lot of glutes, which is really, really nice for runners, especially your glute medius, which is a really nice stabilizer for the hip. And they need to be super, super strong for runners. If you do jump squats, so you're going down into that that squat position, then you're launching yourself up and launching yourself into the air and maintaining a lot of tension on that band. Um, that's also achieving that triple extension and it's also working the glutes really, really hard. So it's a really nice bang for your buck exercise. All you need is a band. You can do it at home. Um, so that would be my uh, two bang for your buck exercises with the squats as well. Get that backpack again. Um, put add some weight. Make sure you do so carefully. Make sure you do so with good technique. But um, they can be some really, really good ones. Let's move on to our final question. I have as a runner: Is there any point focusing on upper body, or should we focus on just the core and legs? This is such a nice uh, question because I had to actually think of uh, some answers, and my conclusion that I came with is you can probably get away with not working the upper body because we don't need a lot of force to be generated through the arms. We do swing the arms. Yes, it's uh, some nice technique to have a nice powerful uh, arm swing, but you don't need strong arms to do that. However, I will suggest a few added benefits if you were to work the upper body. Um, So, My generic answer is no, you don't need to work the upper body, but here are some tips as to some added benefits. So one, it helps with overall upper body, shoulder, neck posture. Posture is quite important for runners, especially when you start to get fatigued and you start to slouch and you're not getting a lot of oxygen in because the lungs are a little bit, um, if you're a little bit slouched over, it's very hard to get a lot of air into the base of the lungs. So a really nice upright posture is really good. And so some upper body exercises can really help with good posture and help your running form. And so this helps as, uh, let's just say some exercises would be push-ups, tricep dips, uh, some chin-ups or like some rows, some supine rows. These are examples of things that you don't need much equipment. You don't really need any equipment except maybe a chin-up bar. And if you have a 
So a supine row would be if you're lying on the ground and the bar is just reaching out in front of you and then you're kind of doing a row up to the up to the bar. So you're getting your chest to the bar um, as you lie as you start lying on your back. Hopefully that made sense. I think body weight exercises are quite nice for a runner. You don't really need to um, be lifting, lifting heavy weights with the upper body. You don't necessarily need to. Um, so yeah, if you do some push-ups, do some tricep dips, do some chin-ups, all that kind of body weight exercise could be really, really nice form. And if you maintain a really nice form throughout that exercise and your technique is spot on, then you're overall helping with your, your muscles and your posture and where your muscles and joints should be when you're establishing a really good running form. The other benefit that I can have is that it just helps as an alternative if you want to stay active, but you have to have a rest day for the legs. So I know for me, I I need to be exercising every day, but really don't want to overtrain, really conscious that I do need my rest days and am conscious that some days my legs are just um, really fatigued or really sore or I've done a heavy workout the day before. I need to rest my legs to recover. So just having some alternative exercises and I'll focus on upper body just to mentally help me that I'm exercising but can still uh, give my legs a break so I'm not putting myself at risk for those overuse injuries so that helps Um, some weighted exercises I did list a couple of body weight exercises but if you do have access to weights having a really nice posture and doing things like bicep curls or a shoulder press or a chest press on a bench or even if you have some of those dumbbells and you get into a plank position and with your hands around the dumbbells, you do like a, you alternate doing rows. And so you'll maintain that plank position, like a really nice posture. And then you're doing that row it could be really nice for a runner. And yeah, I thought I'd include that. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, by we'll finish up there. All those questions have been answered. Let me just do a quick little recap. So, When it comes to finding out your load tolerance and where to move from there, all about trial and error. Make sure you find yourself within a nice sweet spot and then just work your way up from there. Make sure you're increasing by 5 or 10% every couple of weeks. A lot of people get into the, the trap of just doing a really hard workout, feeling good about themselves, and then just keeping that exact same workout for months and months. Make sure you're progressing slightly. If you do find yourself injured and you want to return to the gym, if you're feeling quite stable in your symptoms, start at 70%, work your way up uh, 10 or 15% every week, and then just pay attention to symptoms. Adjust your dosages 10%, give or take, depending on if you're reacting favorably or if you're not reacting so favorably to a certain workout. Um, Make sure that if your hamstring is significantly flared up, then we can transition from um, those progressive heavy loads to that little and often approach. Uh, The bang for your buck exercises, the Bulgarian split squats, Google it if you're not familiar, and also some squats, some jump squats with a TheraBand around your knees. And then we have the upper body stuff, making sure that, well, keep in mind that you don't need to do some upper body stuff, but just establishing a really nice posture and creating an alternative to rest the legs is really, really healthy. 
that's my recap and that is Q&A number two, answering all your strength questions. Like I said before, if you'd love to support the show, I'd love to see you. I'd love to have that little notification that someone signed up to Patreon again. Um, so five bucks a month is all we ask and yeah, it'd be um, it'd mean the world to me to have this uh, group of people that really want to support the show and really want to be part of these Q&A episodes. So um I hope your running is going well. Be safe when you're returning into the gym. And for now, I'll say goodbye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.